Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc or you can visit us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 9.15 and 11 a.m. Hey, today we're uh, kicking off a brand new series that we are going to be in throughout the month of March, the Sundays in the month of March, called Extraordinary, um, because ordinary is boring, because ordinary is boring. I looked up the definition of ordinary this week as defined by Mr. Webster, and this is what it says. It's something or someone with no special or distinctive features, normal, uninteresting, or commonplace. But I think for a lot of people, their life journey, or maybe especially their journey of following Jesus, could be described just like that. Uninteresting, normal, or maybe just commonplace. You see, I think so many times we settle for ordinary. We settle for ordinary. For so many people, life becomes about a meaningless routine of just going through the motions. Students, we got some students in the room. Think about it, okay? For students, your day typically is, man, I get up and I go to school and I do my after school thing for an hour or two or what it is. And I come home and I do my homework, or you should do your homework. You do my homework, I eat dinner, I go to bed, and I get up and I do it all over again. And then then when you leave that student phase of life, you really just graduate into an adult version of that same kind of meaningless carousel where you wake up in the morning. What does that look like for you? You wake up and you tend to the kids or maybe you get ready and you go to your job and you do the same thing that you did the day before that you did the day before that that you did the day before that. You get off of work. You got to go get the kids, take them to ball practice, feed them, whatever that schedule looks like for you. You get home, feed them, put them in bed, take 30 minutes to watch your show because you got to have a moment for yourself. All right. Deep breath. Even though you don't really need, need to have time for it, you got to make time for it and then you go to bed and what happens next day you get up and do it all over again and what I believe could happen is that for so many of us we could really begin to buy in without even thinking and we can get caught up in this ordinary everyday meaningless cycle and even to begin to believe that that's what life's all about we can begin to believe that's what life is all about and for so many people they settle for ordinary. Um, But over the next few weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to open up the truth of God's word because that's where all truth comes from. And we're going to see some very ordinary people, just average Joes and Sues, just like me and you, who encounter an extraordinary God. And when God interacts with their life, man, it forever changes who they are and what they are about. So if you've got a copy of scripture, we're going to go to Genesis chapter six for today. Genesis chapter 6 is going to be right there at the beginning of your Bible, a good six chapters in, right after the index table of contents. Um, And in Genesis chapter 6, if you don't have a copy of Scripture, by the way, we'll put it up on the screen um, for you to follow. I'll be reading from the NIV version today. But in Genesis chapter 6, we see the story of Noah. All right, by a quick show of hands, how many of you have heard the story of Noah before? Kind of what I figured. Awesome, all right? And when we think about the story of Noah, what do we think about? We think about like a big, cool, painted mural, um, you know, at, at a church back in the children's ministry or maybe at the waiting room at the doctor's office or we think about a children's book and we think about the rainbows and the animals and the painting and little Noah and Miss Noah and they're all getting on the boat, all right? And we think, and all those things are totally accurate. They are, and, and that's great and that's awesome. And that's a part of the story. But what I want us to see today is there's a much bigger story that's playing out in Genesis chapter 6 and in the story of Noah. And ultimately, God is shaping Noah to be a man of extraordinary obedience. And so I want us to kind of get a quick glimpse of that in our time together today. Genesis chapter 6, we're going to kick off in verse 9, and this is what Scripture says. 
It says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Don't name your sons that, but Noah did. All right? First truth I want us to note today, if you want to take notes, first truth I want us to see today under this idea of extraordinary is that an extraordinary life doesn't start with perfection. An extraordinary life doesn't start with perfection. Here in verse 9 and 10, we just read, we kind of get a glimpse into Noah's life, into what we know and understand about Noah. And there's a few things that we believe that we got fairly accurate. All right, Noah was a man, Noah was married, and Noah had three sons. And so we can kind of just presume some things for fun today. We can presume that there was probably a lot of wrestling that happened at Noah's house, all right, between Noah, the dad, and the boys, just because that's what boys do. We could also probably presume at Noah's house that it smelled a lot like B.O., all right, because that's what happens when you have a house full of boys. Amen. Any mamas? Just nod your head. Okay. All right. But here's what it also says. Verse nine says that Noah was a righteous man, meaning that he was a man who aimed to live a life that would honor God. And while it says that Noah was a righteous man, it doesn't say that Noah was a perfect man. Um, Actually in chapter nine, if you want to keep reading of Genesis, Noah actually gets drunk and exposes himself, which is not a very righteous act. Noah was far from perfect. But as we're going to see in just a few minutes today, God chooses Noah to be a part of his extraordinary story. And perhaps for many of you here today, maybe you've bought into the lie that you just live an ordinary life. Maybe because you certainly realize that you're not perfect. And for you, maybe you feel because you are just ordinary that God could never do extraordinary things through your life. Or maybe that he doesn't have extraordinary plans for you. And your thinking goes, well, you know what? I'm just a student or I'm just a mom or I'm just a dad or I'm a high school dropout or I'm a plumber or a teacher or an electrician or a barber. And that's just what I do. And that's really pretty ordinary. So there's no way that God really has anything extraordinary for me. But my hope for you today, if that's you, is that today as we look at the story of Noah and over the next few weeks as we look at the, stri- the scripture from God's word and the stories from God's word is that you would see stories just like Noah, an average Joe, a man who was a very ordinary guy who encountered an extraordinary God who ultimately redefined his life and that you would begin to realize that that same God loves you and that same God calls you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And he longs that you would be a part of his extraordinary story. Have you ever applied for a position, tried out for a part, attempted to join a group? Maybe it was at school, it was at college, it was in the workplace, in the city, all to find out that you were disqualified? We got any disqualified folks in the house? I'll just go ahead and raise my hand and admit that. Austin, the rest of you are lying. That's really good. All right. We'll preach on that next week. Uh, Maybe you weren't old enough. Maybe you weren't experienced enough. Or maybe somebody was just more qualified than you. You know, it's a really defeating feeling to know that you're disqualified. You feel like maybe because of choices of your past, maybe for some of you today, you know what? Choices of my past, flaws of my character, because I don't measure up to be like so-and-so, then maybe I'm disqualified. That really, I'm just ordinary. And there's no way that God would really have great plans for me or that I could know God in some kind of extraordinary way. But the story of Noah today is proof that extraordinary plans, they don't start with perfect people. Thank you, Jesus. They don't start with perfect people. And for some of you, God may be calling you to take a step to lead out with something. Maybe God's calling you to take a step to start something. Or maybe for some of you, God's just calling you to take a step to begin a real relationship 
with him to stop playing the church game and to really begin to know and follow God's plan for you. And my hope is that as you see these stories, just like Noah's, that you would see the faithfulness of an extraordinary God and that you would realize that he can be trusted with your life and he is fully worth following because an ordinary life doesn't have to start with perfection. That's the first thing I think we got to lay as the foundation to kind of this whole series is that an ordinary life doesn't start with perfection. But I want us to keep reading. Verse 11, where we left off, Genesis 6, says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and it was full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So verse 13, God says to Noah, Hey Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Now, although we just read that Noah and his family aimed to live a righteous life, Scripture makes it clear that the rest of the world did not. And God begins to lay out in these verses a plan where he says, I'm going to wipe out all wickedness, all evil, everything that does not represent me. I've created everything, and everything has walked away from me. And so in his judgment and wrath, God lays out a plan to destroy evil. And I think one of the things that we have to lay grasp of today is that an extraordinary life doesn't start with perfection. An extraordinary life doesn't start with perfection, but an extraordinary life also can't start with rebellion. An extraordinary life can't start with rebellion. As humans, the thing that separates us from an extraordinary life, from really knowing God's plans and following him, is this little issue of sin that we all battle with. And the world around Noah was blatantly dishonoring and disobeying God. And although Noah was not perfect himself, out of all the people on earth, God chose Noah to work his plan that would change all of history. See, many people today, perhaps even some of us in the room today, are consciously choosing to do life our way. We can label that as rebellion. But yet we also want to know God's plan for us. Well, Monday through Saturday, man, I'm all about me. But maybe on Sunday for an hour, all right, I can kind of tip God. And maybe in the midst of that, he's going to lay out this plan for my life. Maybe this extraordinary story that I'm hearing about, okay? But here's what I really have begun to believe and see as I watch people's stories lay out. Is that I rarely think that God reveals his plan to someone that he can't trust. And I think in this moment, God saw enough in Noah that he began to trust him. And for some of you today, maybe the extraordinary, right, if that's what you're after, the extraordinary calling of God on you begins with laying down your old life of self so that you can even begin to listen and know what it means to fully follow God. So God makes a plan to destroy the wickedness. And then he gives Noah some very specific instructions. And I want us to see what God says. Verse 14, Genesis 6. God says to Noah, so make for yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. Verse 16, make a roof for it. Leaving below the roof and opening one cubit high all the way around. Let the stench out. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. Now, for all my builder fellas in the house, it, like your brain just started turning. You're like, man, that's awesome. I would have been a part of that project. Okay, let me just kind of break down some description for you of the size of this thing that Noah is, in, is constructing. It is believed that the ark was about 450 feet long. That's one and a half football fields long. 
that Noah's about to tackle this. 75 feet wide, so about seven parking spaces, and 45 feet high, a four-story building. Now, here's the specs for all my square foot people. 100,000 square feet of deck space. That'll get it done. And over 1 million cubic feet of space total, the equivalent of 860 railroad boxcars. And finally, it had a floating capacity of almost 14,000 gross tons. And for the rest of you in the room that had no idea what any of that meant, it was a big boat. (laughs) I mean, it was a large boat. Huge, okay? Huge boat. And I love that through these very specific instructions from God to Noah, we begin to understand that God is very much a God of the details. God's very much a God of the details. See, some of you, I think, have begun to think that God doesn't care about the details of your situation. Maybe you're like, you know, there's no way God's really into my story and all that twists and turns that I've maybe caused my story to have, and God's not really in tune with what's going on with me. But here's what I would want you to know today as I look at Scripture and, and think about what God may be saying, is that if, if God was so much into the details of Noah's story, into the type of wood that he was supposed to use inside and outside the ark, and down to the foot of the measurements of this huge boat that's a football field and a half long, if God is into the details like that, then I believe that God is very much into the details of your story, too. And parts of your life that you maybe don't think matter to God very much matter to God. And in verse 17, we read on, and this is what it says next. God continues the plan. He says, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Verse 20. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And verse 21, you are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. And verse 22 says, Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. So God finishes his instructions regarding kind of the bringing of every kind of animal, two of every kind of animal, onto the ark. And then in the final verse of chapter 6 today, I think that we just read there, I want us to see this second truth about this idea of living an extraordinary life. And that is that an extraordinary life often requires uncommon obedience. An extraordinary life often requires uncommon obedience. Now, I know we're 2017 today in the digital age, and half of you are on Facebook, maybe right now, all right? But I want us to think for just a second about Noah. I want us to just try to put ourselves as much as possible in Noah's shoes, all right? Here's what Noah's dealing with. The earth that has not been around really long, but there's a lot of people on it by that point, has not really experienced substantial rainfall. And God, that Noah cannot see, comes to Noah and he's like, hey Noah, I want you to build this boat. So I've been thinking about this boat. I'm thinking you're the guy to build this boat. It's going to be a football field and a half long. No, I don't know. I know you don't know what football is yet, but just trust me. All right, football field and a half long. Build this boat. And I know it's not raining, but kind of over there on the side lot of your house, I want you to put this boat together. And then when you get done building the boat with all the specs, remember that I told you, all right, when you get done building the boat, they don't want you to go out and not find just your favorite animal, not just the animals that are right there kind of in your neighborhood, but I want you to find two of every kind of animal. And then I want you to herd them up, and then I want you to put them on the boat. And then perhaps the hardest part, then I want you to get your wife and your kids and your in-laws and all them, all right, and I want you to put them on the boat with you, and then I want you to close the door. 
Can you imagine how weird that had to feel for Noah? I mean, Noah had to be going, are you kidding me, God? All right, I'll take the elephants and the walruses and all of that, but my in-laws, God, come on. (laughs) And in this moment, God begins to lay out this crazy plan that he involves Noah in. I wonder how many of you have ever seen the movie Evan Almighty? Anybody's all right, willing? Okay, awesome. All right, now here's, I'm, I'm not necessarily recommending the movie, and I'm not saying that it is a fully biblically accurate picture. Okay, I just feel pretty confident in saying that. But if you've ever seen that movie, you know how it goes out, right? Evan, kind of like Noah, is called to build this boat. And so he begins to construct this massive boat on the side lot over there. And if you remember the rest of the movie, what, what happens in that moment? Man, news reporters start showing up. People start taking pictures and video and, and talking about Evan because Evan's building this huge boat and there is no water. And I think about our boy Noah. And I think about maybe the years and the years that it took him to build this massive structure. And then I think about the flack that Noah had to have taken. I mean, Noah had to quickly, like just like that, become the talk of the town. You, yeah, you seen the guy? Oh, yeah, Noah. Yeah, I heard about it. He's, he's the boat guy. Yeah, he's, woo, woo, he's lost. Yeah, elevator not all the way to the top. Okay, no, no rain. I have no idea. He's saying God told him to do this. He's got to be out of it. Okay, somebody probably needs to go check him in somewhere. He's not, he's not really here, but yeah, he's doing it anyway. And he's inviting his whole family in, and now he's out looking for the animals. Are you kidding me? And I just imagine, man, the response of the culture and the world around Noah. But did you catch what verse 22 said? Verse 22 said, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Everything, down to the last detail. And Noah was a model for us that an extraordinary life often requires uncommon obedience. It often requires uncommon obedience. See, many people like the thought of not just living an ordinary life. They're like, yeah, I would love to be extraordinary. I would love to do that. But the truth is, many people will never know the joy of living an extraordinary life because they can't seem to ever fall into an obedient life. And it becomes a great barrier for them because for many people, when God calls them to something, they immediately begin with their list of excuses. Well, no, no, I just don't know that I'm ready to give up my old life, or I don't know that at this point I'm ready to give up that much time or that much money or that much energy or that much of my resources. Or people begin to say things like, well, I just don't know that I can fully obey because I don't know, like, what is everybody else around me going to think? Like, what are my coworkers and my my social circle and my family, what are they going to believe about me if I really do that? Or perhaps how about this one for the type A's, because that's me. We begin to go, well, I don't know that I could fully follow God because man, that might mean that I lose control. And I kind of really like having control. And we create all of these barriers. And I think for many people, it's possible that many people will never really know the extraordinary joy and privilege and blessing of walking in God's plan for them because they're caught behind their own barriers to obedience. Thankfully, this wasn't the case with Noah, because Hebrews chapter 11, known as the Hall of Fame of Faith, there towards the end of Scripture, verse 7 says this about our boy Noah. All right, from Genesis 6, here's the description in Hebrews 11. By faith, Noah. By faith, Noah. When warned about things not yet seen. What do you mean? Like he couldn't understand? He didn't know the plan? He wasn't in full control? Nope, he wasn't. When warned about things not yet seen in holy fear. Not in trembling fear. Not in like I'm shaking in my boots and I don't know what to do. But in a holy fear as in like God you are sovereign and you are in control and you are everything that you say you are. 
in that fear, Noah built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. You see, Noah not only answered just this call to obedience, but Noah fully surrendered himself to the call of extraordinary obedience. And ultimately, Scripture says it made a mark. His faith made a mark in history. But I wonder, what about you? Like, what's keeping you from living with uncommon or extraordinary obedience in your life? Maybe in your marriage, in your family, with your parents or with your kids. Like, what's that barrier that you put into play that's keeping you from walking with extraordinary obedience. Maybe it's worry or fear. Maybe you've got worry of like, man, if I give up control, I just really don't know what might happen. Or maybe you're legitimately living like with fear of what other people might think. I just don't know how they would think about me, God. You see, I don't know exactly what God might be calling you to, but I do know that an extraordinary life often requires very uncommon obedience, which isn't always comfortable, and it is rarely easy. Tell us often of the season, probably some six, seven years ago, when God was calling my wife and I to help begin this new church body of believers here in the city. And in that season that really lasted for two or three months where we honestly, genuinely wrestled with God, man, I had a legitimate, really good list of excuses. I mean, like, I was like, I got God on this one. And I'm like, God, I'm not old enough. God, I am not experienced enough. I don't have enough money. You see my bank account, God. All right, I don't know enough people. I don't even know what I would do or what we would call it or what it would look like. And every time that I laid out what I felt was a very legitimate list of excuses for God, this was God's response. Brian, if you wait until you get all of those things in place, then you won't need me. And I need you to need me more than I need you to need any of those other things. And see, one of the things that God began to teach me personally was that when we begin to fully surrender ourselves to God and we really live with that holy fear and we put our ultimate faith and trust really in him and we understand his real faithfulness, that he's a God of his promises, then all of a sudden that uncommon obedience many times becomes ordinary obedience in light of who God is and in light of his plan for us. So living the extraordinary life doesn't start with perfection, but it does often require uncommon obedience. And if you know the rest of the story, you know that in chapter 7, Noah and his family board the boat with all of the animals and they wait for the rain. And they wait. And finally the rain comes. And does it come? I mean, it rains and it rains for 40 days and 40 nights straight. And it covers the whole entire earth. And it destroys every living thing, including people and animals, just as God said, because he is faithful to his word. And even after the rain stopped, you can imagine that the earth is still flooded with water. And in chapter 8, we read where Noah sends out a dove to try to find dry ground. And he kind of goes back and forth in this interaction going, is it safe to leave the boat yet? And after a couple of attempts, finally dry ground is found. And catch this, after 370 days on the boat with the animals and the in-laws, Noah and his family walk 
off. Now, let's be real, okay? For some of you, you can't stand your family and your in-laws for three hours at Christmas and Thanksgiving. Noah's on the boat for 370 days. But at the end of 370 days, Noah and his family and all of the livestock walk off of the boat onto dry ground and catch what happens next. Now, we're fast-forwarding now. Genesis 8, Genesis 8 Verse 18, this is what happens when they walk off. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, and they were all still intact, and no one had killed each other, and that was awesome. And verse 19 says, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds and everything that moves on the land came out of the ark too, one kind after another. Then verse 20, catch this, then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and the clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. And the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, and he said in his heart, This is God. Never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never, but never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Man, after a year on the boat with his family and all of the animals and the flood and everything. Noah walks off and did you catch what he did? It wasn't, it was the first thing he did. It wasn't complain about how long he'd had to be on the boat. He didn't run off and go like, guys, I just need some alone time. <laughs> you have overwhelmed me, okay? I'll be back in three days. He didn't even take one of those cows and make himself a big old juicy steak, although that would have been totally appropriate in that moment. But what does it say that Noah did? Verse 20 says, Noah walked off the ark and built an altar and worshiped God. Now here's, I think, the third and final truth for today. An extraordinary life requires choosing to honor the extraordinary God. An ordinary life that wants to become extraordinary life requires choosing to honor the extraordinary God. Noah's altar that we just read about is the very first altar recorded in Scripture in all of history. And what we understand, if you dig deep into the details is that this burnt offering that Noah made to God, are a little weird for us to do today, thank goodness we don't have to kill all the animals for our sins, but in this moment, Noah's burnt offering, this is what it was saying to God. God, I'm all in with you. Like I am fully bought in, surrendered everything about me. I'm in with you. And in this moment, Noah realized it wasn't his idea to build the boat. Noah had no idea the storm was coming. Noah did not control the storm while he was on the boat. And Noah could not make the waters fall back. But Noah did realize he had one really important role. And Noah realized that his role is to acknowledge God's greatness and sovereignty over all things, including his life. And Noah immediately and unashamedly fell down and worshiped God for who he was. See, the reality is, church, no matter what your story is, and no matter what your past, or your place in life, the reality that everybody in the room has to grasp today is that it is impossible for you to accomplish and live an extraordinary life until you first acknowledge and consistently honor the extraordinary God. See, many people want to live an extraordinary life. Oh, yeah, that sounds awesome. I'd love to be a part of that. And they want to do it in their own strength, in their own power, in their own wisdom, in their own timing, in their own plan. But they fail to acknowledge the extraordinary God who sits at the center of it all. And kind of here's, here's what that begins to look like. We're like, God, I trust you. Like, yeah, you are faithful and you are trustworthy. But hey, family and my marriage, I'm still going to kind of do that my way. 
We're like, God, I'm, I'm all in with you. I'm bought in. Yeah, you were awesome. But yet, like, okay, over here, my job and how I do my finances and how I think about my future, I got that piece. Or better yet, we come into this place and we go, God, I'm all in with you. I'm bought in. I trust you. But when we walk out on Monday through Saturday, we're like, but let me have the reins back because I just don't know if I can fully believe you. And I'm telling us today, church, the truth is if we ever want to know the full joy and the peace and the hope of living an extraordinary life of God's plans for us, it requires a full acknowledgement and honoring of who God is and that his character, as we sang earlier, he's a good dad and he loves his kids and he is perfect in all of his ways. See, the ultimate acknowledgement of God is this. The ultimate acknowledgement of God is for you to realize that you aren't him. That you aren't him. See, when we choose a life of sin, and scripture is very clear that all of us in the house have done so, we ultimately are trying to play God. We're saying that God, my ways, my strength, my wisdom, my pleasures, my desires are better than whatever you may have for me or whatever plans you may be laying out for me. So God, I got this. And ultimately, we put ourselves in a place that only God was intended to be for us. And ultimately, we end up settling for ordinary when God's plans are so much greater. And the reality is, guys, the truth today is there's a much bigger picture that God is pointing to through Genesis 6 and this story of Noah. Because this story, it's not just about Noah and the animals and the rainbow and the ark and the water so that we would have a really good mural or a children's book to write about. It's not it. No, the ultimate plan that God was laying out is for you. It's for me. It's a story of you and me an extraordinary God because here in these very beginning moments of creation, we're talking six chapters into the book. God is foreshadowing his heart for you and me. God's kind of giving us a glimpse into the window of who he is and how he feels about you and me. Because the reason that God sent the flood, if you're in tune with scripture, was because God is a God who does not tolerate sin and rebellion. It is against his character. He is holy and he is righteous and rebellion is just not a part of that. And so just like the people who became victims of this flood, for you and I, we too become victims of our own rebellion. When we choose to disobey God and we settle for an ordinary life of our own doing where we go, God, yeah, I think you might be pretty good, but I got this. And just like the world around Noah, we settle for what we think is best. And while God does not tolerate rebellion, here's what makes him a good father. He still makes a plan in the middle of it. He still makes a plan in the middle of it. And just as God prepared prepared a way out for very imperfect Noah through a plan of uncommon obedience and worship, God has created a way for every single one of us to be rescued from our rebellion and from our very ordinary life. But just like Noah couldn't rescue himself from the storm, 
Our rescue plan doesn't come through our own power and our own strength, but there is only one avenue from the ordinary to really what it means to have an extraordinary life. And it came through God, the Father who loved us and chose us and offered us Jesus in our place to pay the highest price. And he said, all those who are ordinary are worth the best I've got. And that's what he offered. Church today, that is a God who can be trusted. That is a God who loves us unconditionally. And that is a God who wants you to not just settle for an ordinary life of getting caught on the carousel of the meaningless routines when he offers you an invitation to be a part of his extraordinary story. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.